0: Thank you to BMO ETFs, a division of BMO Global Asset Management, for sponsoring today's video. What is going on, you guys? Welcome back to another video. What's going on, Dad? Hey, Brandon. I'm looking
1: forward to this video. It's kind of a multi-generational thing that we're looking at today and showing some of the differences between a younger guy like yourself and an older guy like me building a portfolio. So everything's good
0: here. looking forward to this video. I feel like it's the perfect way to hone into our duo with the different perspectives, but exactly that. In today's video, we're gonna be demonstrating exactly how easy it is to build an ETF portfolio using the ETFs of our sponsors video, which is BMO, but we're gonna be doing two different scenarios. So one for, I'm a millennial, but let's just call it millennial gen Zs, like a younger folk, and then one for the older folk, you know, the the retirees, uh, whatever you would call yourself. But uh, I think that's kind of the idea today. That's kind of the idea, so looking forward to it yeah and I will just say I mean I mentioned at the top this is an easy we're going to demonstrate an easy way to build a portfolio, but that doesn't mean that a lot of work isn't required when strategizing and when building a sustainable portfolio and strategy there's a lot of work that goes in beforehand mm-hmm. to get you you know in line with your investment goals and I do think at first we need to start with the foundation and the foundation as our audience knows to any good portfolio is setting the appropriate asset allocation. And the asset allocation in very simple terminology is essentially the breakdown of how you plan to allocate your assets or your money. And what's so cool about setting an asset allocation data is like, whether you have a thousand dollars, whether you have a hundred thousand or a million dollars in theory, that number can change, but that asset allocation is the structure or blueprint of ultimately how your money will be invested. And this is critical because not only will we structure it according to our goals, but it'll also help us. It'll act as a tool to keep us on track over time as our portfolio moves. Um, we can ensure that we stay balanced. I think that's one of the most critical things: is that it'll it'll give us that. It's a, like you, you
1: use the term blueprint, but it's like a roadmap, right? And so if you far, find right. yourself going off of a path, you can you
0: can get back on. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think what this video will demonstrate is, you know, building a portfolio of ETFs will differ between you and I, whether that's more growth focused, more income focused, you know, safer, more aggressive. Uh, Mm. The objectives are vastly different and I'm sure we will have some overlap. But, um, yeah, why don't we get into that? What are some of the key considerations that we need to think about when structuring a portfolio? Well, I'll just chime in,
1: Brandon. Anytime you're building a portfolio, you have to look at what the tools are that you're going to use to build it, right? So, what the building blocks are, and mm. because today we're talking specifically about exchange traded funds, the first thing you want to go, you want to consider is how many ETFs should I own to, to to put in the portfolio? Because you know there are a lot of ETFs out there today, and a lot you can end up with a, a big portfolio of ETFs, and you have a lot of duplication overlap between the funds. So, it's so one thing right. you really have to be mindful of is. Um, Don't just go go like three or four ETFs that are all the same. You end up with thousands and thousands of companies. It doesn't mean you're building a diversified portfolio, right? So a key is you really have to know what your ETFs hold. And uh, today, that's information that's really available, uh, for example, on, on BMO's website. You can go in and dig really deeply to the reports, and, and they have to update those regularly. Um, you, questions like, are they broadly-based ETFs? Or you know, some of the ones that we're going to look at today, are, are you know, they're more... More specific, um, right? More specific, Are they more niche uh, players. So that's a key thing there. Another thing is uh, you want to structure, at least in my opinion, you want to structure your holdings so they're simple... Uh, to you know, sort, sort of like a set it and forget it type portfolios, but I know a lot of DIYers want to play more of an active role. So what we're going to show today is sort of building out with the asset allocation, and then each person can decide whether they just want to run with that or massage that according to their own their own goals. So
0: I think that's uh, that's kind of the key of what we're talking about today. And I guess that's the beauty of using ETFs, and you know, the fact that there's a, a massive suite of options. There's mm-hmm. products for everybody and every different style, and hopefully this video yeah. will kind of you know, give you some ideas on uh, what may be suitable. And I think maybe I'll kick things off here, dad, Uh, you know, in setting your asset allocation, I think it's very important to do a self assessment of where you are in life. And there's many factors that we would consider here, but I'll take someone like myself. Who's like, let's say in their mid twenties, I'm a little bit older than my mid twenties, but let's just say, you know, 18, uh, 18 to 25 is kind of the range I'm looking at. So young, you know, kicking off life, no longer a little teenager. You're kind of just like uh, getting going with things. I think these are some fair characteristics and uh, maybe we're, uh, you know, maybe I'm overcharacterizing, but I think in general, these are fair to say. It's likely that someone in their young twenties uh, is probably just finishing school. Maybe they're still in school. I'm um, doing post-secondary university, but certainly finishing high school and they're possibly looking to start a career. And it's very typical that someone in their twenties would have very low expenses relative to somebody who's, you know, in, in midlife or later in life. So very likely no kids yet, um, possibly not even a mortgage, especially if you live in Vancouver, um, probably not going out buying homes unless you have some sort of uh, money coming through the door for whatever reason. But yeah, no, no big liabilities like that, right? Uh, mm. Like a mortgage, maybe you have a car payment or some student loans, those are manageable, but nothing major. And what I think is really important is that when you're young, time horizon wise, you have decades and decades and decades to invest right? Mm. When will I need this money? If this is money that I want to put away for my future or for my retirement, I literally have years and years to kind of, uh, you know, follow the market, uh, to stomach the ups and downs. Uh, I don't need this capital tomorrow or next year in the midst of a crash. We can kind of stomach things. And I would say in theory, and yeah, this is in theory, but younger Mm. investors do tend to be willing to take on uh, a little more risk, a little more aggressive with their portfolio, essentially striving for more growth, for many of the reasons that we talked about, but I would say to kind of cap that off as a young person, priority number one is that we want to be growing our portfolio, compounding that uh, year after year after year. Yeah. And that's really what's going to help us get to our goals at this stage in life.
1: Yeah. Uh, I think some of the key things you said there was the risk, right? Generally a younger person wants to take on a higher level of risk than some of my yep. age, but also you have the ability to do that because you have, you know, the, you have decades ahead of
0: you, right? I think so. I mean, I think that yeah. summarizes it. Like I said, those are generalizations and obviously everyone's situation yeah, is course. a little bit different. You're going to have young, younger kids who are extremely conservative and, and that's the fun yeah. part about it. Everybody's different. But if I were to just kind of do a blanket statement for people in this yeah. age, I think that um, might be fair to say. And that's a good point because there
1: isn't really, you can't make a blanket statement, but generally will capture a lot of the audience, right? So let me contrast that to some my age. And these again are generally, because I would, the, the first thing that comes to my mind is I would say that when you get older, either closer to or in retirement, you probably want to have, I'm going to reluctantly say the word safer retirement or our portfolio, uh, you know, I'll call fair. it more conservative and safe means different things to different people. But um, when I say you want to invest more conservatively, it doesn't mean that you take on no risk, right? It just sort of means you want to focus on minimalizing that risk. And you may get to the point where you're excluding higher risk holdings and you know there's a even someone let's say you're 60 um, you have statistically a couple of decades uh, ahead of you so this will evolve over time as well but uh, you you do want to continue to have an element of growth generally speaking uh, in your portfolio another thing that someone your age probably doesn't factor in is estate goals right estate objectives so mm. one of the things that someone like myself or my peers would have to consider is is a goal of your portfolio to preserve as much of it as you can, like live today, but preserve it so that you can pass that on to younger generations? Or is it right. more por- important for you to say, well, I've saved this money. I'm gonna you know, take as much income from it as I can and generate as much um, income as possible. I'm going to place less of an emphasis on saving the capital. And, I mean, I, I worked with clients, Brandon, and it said, like, perfect world. I, the, last, the day I die, I spend my last dollar. Like, the kids can look yeah. after themselves. So that is um, an important factor as well that will come into the construction. And then lastly, I'll just… I don't <laughs> like that philosophy. You don't like that no, philosophy. That no yeah. one doesn't resonate with me, no. <laughs> I thought it might not. But uh, the, the last point I had here is that, really importantly, at, at my age, what other sources of retirement income do you have? So if you have a really solid, guaranteed, indexed pension you can probably mm. afford to take a little more risk with your portfolio. But if you're relying in 100% on your portfolio,
0: that will also factor in to um, to how you construct it. Yeah, I think that's a really good one to finish off on because yeah, every, everybody's needs for income is different. And that's mm-hmm. one thing. I mean, even it, maybe it's broadly speaking, but if you just want to say when you're younger, you're trying to grow and grow. And then when you get older, the priority needs to be on on spinning some of that growth off that you've gained over the years and uh, Mm -hmm. everyone's income needs are slightly different and I think it'll be really telling when we look at our different portfolio holdings that we've selected today um, how that comes into play and yeah I mean I guess I can kick things off to kind of the meat and potatoes of this video why don't we start with the portfolio that I've designed and uh, like I said This is a broad based, obviously, if you're in, you know, my age bracket, um, you can tailor this, but from an asset allocation standpoint, what I think would be suitable for somebody who's younger, um, would be somewhere in the range of 85 to 90% in equities and 15 ish percent in fixed income slash cash. And that's typically how we will break down asset allocation from a high level, right? You kind of have your stock component, your equity component, and then you have your you know, counterpart to that, which is maybe bonds or fixed income or some sort of uh, GIC interest bearing safer uh, investment. Mm-hmm. And it's quite clear mm-hmm. through this breakdown that we still as a Gen Z slash millennial are still primarily focused in stocks. And mm-hmm. just to, you know, I, I know the math. I think I said like 85, 90% and then 15%. I know that's a little, I'm giving rough numbers here, but um I'm gonna run for this example with an 85% equity target and a 15% fixed income target. Okay. So using the BMO Suite of ETS, the mock portfolio that I designed looks a little something like this. I wanna break this exposure down within the equity component to a US fund or one that gives me broad exposure to America. Canadian exposure would be next. And because we are younger and for the reasons we talked about, maybe willing to take on a little more uh risk um mm-hmm. in our accounts. I would like to allocate some money to A, the international markets and as well the emerging markets. And those are kind of, you know, you could mix those up. They are actually slightly different as we will take a look. Uh, There's a lot of overlap within those, but um, that would kind of make up the equity component. Those are the the building blocks, if you will, of what I think the equities should own. On the fixed income side, again, we'll just allocate 15% to a simple bond fund. That's kind of what I'm thinking today. With this mock portfolio, I'm allocating 45% to the US market using a US fund. The one that I'm using is ticker ZSP. And this is one of the most popular, in fact, I think the most popular BMO fund out there on the market. This is, of course, a fund that's going to track the performance of the S&P 500, the 500 largest companies in America. This is what I believe to be would be the core of my portfolio. And I do want it representing a large chunk. I'll talk about why in a second. Following that, roughly 25% of the account, I would be allocating to the Canadian market. And this is kind of a counterpart fund. I think these do complement each other really well. You know, you pretty much capture the North American market with an S&P 500 fund and then a Canadian fund, what I'm looking at here in particular is the fund ZCN.TO. And this is a fund that simply tracks the TSX. So the TSX, Toronto Stock Market Index, some of the largest companies that you're gonna know and love here in the Canadian market are big banks, ener- energy companies, telecoms, you name it. Between these two funds, we're gonna have an array of the largest North American equities um, under our portfolio. And I think that's a great starting point. And, just to touch on that briefly, why I allocate 25% only to Canada, you know, it's not because I hate Canada. Um, I, I know a lot of Canadians love to invest in, in Canada, but up on the screen, I'll just share with you some fascinating stats. We're looking at the past performance of the two funds that we talked about. So the S and P 500 fund and then ZCN. and what we noticed just looking in, let's say over the past five years, so we can look at a more relative, uh, period, not since inception, because funds do start at different times, but just over the past five years, the American market, the S&P has outperformed the TSX and historically the US market tends to be the better performer. Now obviously there's going to be periods of times where that's not the case and it's you know goes uh, the other way and of course this is past performance so this doesn't mean this is what we can expect but just in general the American market is a larger market, it's more diverse uh, you think of the biggest companies in the world dad, they're coming out of uh, America, um, more so than Canada just to be completely fair and that's mm. why I do think it should be a bigger part of the core of my portfolio. Um, that's kind of why I've set that as such. Moving on with that core aspect aside, I'd like to allocate about 7.5%, 7.5% to an international ETF. We've already ticked off North America. We're very diversified there with those two funds alone, <laughs> but then we can look internationally, look abroad with a fund such as ZEA.to. And this is the BMO MSCI EFI or EAFE. E index. In fact, this is essentially a fund that will give us exposure to a ton of global equities, excluding the U.S. in particular, and this is a fund that trades as such a such an affordable M.E.R., considering it's a global fund. You're paying 0.22%. This is in my opinion, an extremely fair Um, fee to pay to go get this global exposure. The two funds prior are going to be so dirt cheap. I mean, it's just marginal how cheap these ETFs are, which is why low cost index funds are such a great way to invest. But if you take a look up on the screen, you'll see some of the companies um, and feel free to pause this or just take a look. You're going to notice some names. So names out of Europe, um, names out of uh, Asia, such as Japan, like Toyota Motors. One thing about this fund That our viewers, you know, will recognize there's not much uh, Chinese exposure and to each their own, right? Like I said, if you're building your own portfolio, this is what you were mentioning, dad, where there's so many resources online where you can go look and understand what you own. But Mm. there are a couple key components missing, in my opinion, to a completely well-rounded equity portfolio. Hence why with the remaining 7.5% of the equity exposure. I would look to an emerging markets fund such Mm. as ZEM.to. And this is the MSEI emerging markets. When we see EM, that stands for emerging markets. And I really think this caps things off. You got a very similar MER, slightly higher at 0.28%, but again, so affordable at the end of the day compared to, let's say, mutual funds. And what I like about these two funds complementing each other is they do have exposure to some rapidly growing markets such as China, Taiwan, India, just for example. So uh, up on the screen, you'll see some of the, you know, the big Asian holdings. And, you know, India is just a nation that's just rapidly emerging and growing in population and innovation. So they do kind of complement each other in that aspect. And to me, these four funds for a young investor can really just get your basis, you know, lay it out for all sorts of, uh, different investments across the globe. And, um, I'll just quickly cap off fixed income. I don't have too much to add here, but with the 15% that I've allocated to fixed income, I always like leaning with uh, ZAG.to, which is the BMO aggregate bond fund. It's essentially just a basket of investment grade bonds. You're going to have corporate federal, uh, you know, uh, Bonds. You're going to have corporate, uh, federal, provincial, just a big mishmash of all sorts of bonds. You can just keep it really simple and and let them do all the heavy lifting with the bond selections, but they're all different types of terms. And this one, again, is extremely cheap as well. 0.09%. It's yielding 3.57%, which is pretty solid for a bond fund, at least what I'm used to uh, from over the past few years of being an investor Um, starting to creep up obviously as rates have come up but uh, that in my opinion would be kind of what I'd like to structure as our mock portfolio for today's uh, exercise and One thing I'll say is, you know, maybe some younger investors, like you're 18, you don't really want to have the fixed income. Mm -hmm. Um, That's understandable. And I think I say fixed income cash, that can vary, right? You can kind of wiggle back and forth and maybe it's more so keeping 10% cash in the portfolio. Um, It's preferential, but uh, that would be my breakdown. I'm actually really excited to hear yours, Dad. Well,
1: um, yeah, interestingly, I think, Brandon, uh, first of all, there's gonna be a couple overlaps in the funds that we're using, which makes sense to me because we're not trying to reinvent the wheel here. There's, there's that core of your portfolio uh, that we believe you should have, but then a little bit differences, for example, in the percentages. But I'll just sort of get into my thoughts on someone who's say, for example, a little bit older, I don't know, maybe 45, 50 plus, let's call it, right? Close to um, or in retirement. And perhaps surprisingly, Um, I'm not, this is not a very, very conservative portfolio. In fact, for the model I'm gonna roll out today, um, I'm going with a 70-30 split. So 70% in equities and 30% in fixed income. For a lot of people, that's fair, but these could be adjusted to 60-40 or 50-50 or whatever you feel comfortable with, right? The difference here for some of those specialty, like for example, you had the emerging markets, etc. I'm not going into that space. I'm going to, my international exposure is going to be more in the conservative space. So let's talk about those for a moment. Mm-hmm. But like you, I have weighed more heavily in favor of the US market when it comes to the overall allocation over Canada. I'm, I'm allocating... directly to the U.S. market as a a core of there and 15% to Canada for the same reasons you articulated. First of all, most of the global leaders come from there. It's a huge market compared to Canada. So it just makes sense to me that you would do that. I'm also going to put 15% into the um, international markets. So more specifically about that in just a moment. I have allocated um, 5% of the portfolio for a, I'm calling a specialty fund or a focused fund, And this would be sort of more something that uh, an investor might change around a little bit. I'm going to use, um, well, I'll show you in just a moment here what I'm going to use for today. Uh, But it can be shifted around 10% of the fund going into a higher yield fund. So a fund Mm. with a covered call overlay to generate the extra yield for someone like myself might need. Um, And 30%. A higher number to fixed income. Unlike you, I'm going to split that between two different funds. That I think complement each other. So, um, like you say, regardless of what numbers you're looking at, because not every sixty-year-old has the same amount of money, but you should be able to. Um, you should be able to, especially look, looking in in BMO's suite of ETF products, there'd be no no problem uh, choosing funds uh, to fit the needs here. So I'm going to look to uh, strike a balance uh, with a strong core portfolio and then some flexibility for those investors. Uh, who would like to manage a little bit more themselves as well. So I'm going to look at seven ETFs overall, which mm. I think complement each other. So a little bit more than you. Starting off with, I want to say 15% of your portfolio should be ZCN. So you also picked ZCN as your exposure to the uh, Toronto Stock Exchange. And I'll just throw a graphic up on the screen here. You can see, obviously, very heavily weighted in, in the financials and in energy, that's where the Canadian market is for the most part, you can see the names of the company that you would own on here. Uh, the fund is considered to be a medium risk fund, right, mm. uh, With a, like like your funds are very low, uh, very low management expense ratios, almost, you know, 0. it's 0. .06, yeah, you you know, argue. so you can argue it, it doesn't really matter, but, uh, but that is the cost of, to own this type of a fund, uh, 0. .06. So in this fund, you get an exposure to the Canadian market, which just represents the Canadian market. It actually tracks the S&P or the, the S&P TSX, a capped composite index. So you can see on the screen what you get here. Now to complement this, um, I picked uh, ZUE, which is another BMO fund. Now this is a sister fund to ZSP, uh, which is a non-hedged version. This is hedged. Now this is something that you can choose to hedge your your dollars, not hedge your dollars. Um, I'm of the opinion that over time, unless you're actively watching the currency, the fluctuation and changing it, it's going to net out for the most part. But this is the um, the, the hedge fund, it's the S&P 500, like you had it again, you can see on here, where um, what you're owning, large companies, if you look down sort of the left side here, you're gonna recognize pretty much all of these companies the portfolio allocation, the construction though, is different. Much more tech uh, uh, weighted here, healthcare weighted, which is I think it complements the Canadian um, mm-hmm. fund as well. Again, medium risk and a 0.09% management fee on this. There is a small fee that you pay for that hedging, uh, you know, capacity there. Now, for my global exposure here, I've picked STPL, which is the BMO Global Consumer Staples Index, and this tracks the Russell developed large cap consumers staples capped index. And again, this is hedged to the Canadian dollar as well. Now, this I find uh, to be uh, serving a lot of purposes. First of all, when we look at sort of the makeup of the portfolio. It's up just over half in the US, but then we see again, broad exposure to the rest of the world, the sector allocation is all stuff that you're gonna need, whether we're in a recessionary time, whether you're not in a recessionary time. So when we look at the names, Procter & Gamble, Nestle, PepsiCo, Coca-Cola, et cetera, these are all products that people use around the world pretty much all the time, whether there is uh, you know a recession, whether the markets are good or not. And that's one of the things I'm looking for as a more mature investor is that stability. Uh, the fund is rated low to medium risk, so a little bit lower risk. And if we look at this, just some some recent numbers, 2022 the fund dropped 0.3 percent now remember what the markets did last year in general it was a bad year uh, in 2022 for the equity markets so this brought brings a lot yeah. of stability to the portfolio so when i when i married this with the two funds i just talked about this provides that ballast in there an mer of 0.4 um so i think that's um a reasonable cost for this global exposure the specialty fund that I want to allocate 5% to. This is this can be fluid if you work at, if you, let's say, you, for example, you want to get into, uh, exposure to a certain sector, a certain industry that isn't covered to the extent you'd want in the other funds, um, you can go there. But I, for the example I'm using today, I'm picking a ZQQ, which tracks the NASDAQ 100, and this is hedged to the Canadian dollar. So it's the BMO NASDAQ 100 equity index. As I talked about earlier, it's important not to get a whole bunch of overlapping and a whole bunch of duplication. And this, you know, there is, well, a considerable amount of exactly that here. You look at the names, this reminds you probably a lot of the S&P 500. This is very specifically to the information sector. We see you know 50, 50% IT, 15% communication services, and then 14.5% uh, to a consumer discretionary. So mm-hmm. there is that overlap, but I would use this if for an investor who wants to just boost up what the S&P 500 would give. And as we know, that changes from time to time. Right now, it's very heavily weighted in this space. But that will change, whereas this will stay specific to the, uh, the technology right. sector, to the communication. So it's more of a complement uh, to the other funds. Medium to high risk. So this is the only time I'm taking 5%, maybe uh, going to that high percent uh, or higher, higher volatility portfolio if you want to be tactical. If you had no interest in this, I would just bump up the weighting of the S&P 500 and not worry about this at all. Right. Uh, a specialty fund. Covered call utilities, the the ZWU, I'm going to put 10% into the BMO covered call utilities. This is kind of me, the best of both worlds, where you have a sector, a space that I like, you have the consistency of the utility sector, which typically, you know, isn't exciting. You're not going to get, you know, 100% returns in a year like you will in the tech space, but it's going to be predictable. Uh, this has a good allocation between Canada, between the United States, and you can see some of the names on here, some of the names that you know as as uh, utility investors we we know and love here in Canada, a little bit higher. Um, management fee. The MER is 0.71 and the TER, the trading expense ratio, is 0.95. And that comes mostly because there is uh, a covered call overlay to generate higher yield on this. So uh, this is one of those funds where if, you, if you're if you looking to increase the yield that you're spending on a regular basis, you're going to pay for that, you know, for the underlying structure. And you know when I look at the covered call overlays that are available today, compared to doing it yourself, well, first of all, most people probably couldn't. Uh, you certainly don't want to. It's a lot of work. So uh, it's well worth that extra Management fee, in my opinion, fifteen percent of the portfolio. So I'm going to move on now to fixed income. So fifteen percent mm. of the portfolio, I've uh, picked the same fund that you have, Brandon, uh, ZAG, which is the BMO Aggregate Bond Index, and that is uh, you know 1,400 bonds in Canada, something yeah. that no person could ever manage on their own. So you you know we rely on professionals to do this uh, on our behalf. Thirty five and a half percent federal bonds. You've got thirty five percent provincial bonds, a little bit of exposure to corporates and to ventures, etc. So this is sort of you know. Low risk, boring, but it, I feel for an older investor, it does play a very important role in providing ballast to the portfolio. And the last fifteen percent is ZQB, which is the BMO High Quality Corporate Bond Index, and this mm. travel uh, this tracks the FTSE Canada One to Ten Year um, A Plus Corporate Bond Index. So it is more focused on well, it's focused on the corporate side of things. So. An elevated level of risk, um, in theory at least, but uh, also you know more return that would be expected as a trade-off for that as well, uh, because it's Canada. is more heavily focused um, in the financials, utilities, as well. So uh, that is the that's those are the funds that I think would form a, the good base of a portfolio for a lot of investors uh, who want to go the route of ETFs.
0: I really like that. And hey, if you guys have been enjoying the video and like the two different examples um, that we've mm-hmm. illustrated please do drop a thumbs up and let us know what you think down below. But I think it's, I mean, even as you're explaining that dad, it's, we can compare and contrast. They're two very different portfolios. Um, And I would say I even kind of lean more on the simple kind of passive index style. Is it fair to say you've kind of like, yeah, you know, I don't know if core and explore is the right way to look at it, but you've kind of got the core and then you've got a couple more unique ones that I think you've baked into this uh, outline. And I really like that. And you obviously targeted them and, you know, catered them more to the needs. Like for example, I wouldn't be out buying a utility ETF, especially with a covered call, um, strategy, but that may be a perfect, perfect example for somebody that's a bit older. And that's a great, you know, contrast there, even just with that example.
1: Well, as I said earlier, we kind of have a similar thought on what the the core of the portfolio should be. But yes, once you go outside of that nucleus, then we go in different directions and that's what you'd expect. And I just want to reiterate, I had used 70-30 as an example. But if you're an investor who wants to simplify things, yeah, maybe you take out that specialty fund. That's quite possible. You just adjust those... Um, and, and the other controversial one for me would be the NASDAQ, you know, because it's, it is a higher risk portfolio. Uh, heck, I worked with investors who were in their 60s and 70s and even 80s who said, I want to take a portion of my money. And I want to have that opportunity for growth there. So,
0: Risk it for the biscuit. Not
1: one size fits all. Risk, risk it for the biscuit. <laughs>
0: Hey, exactly, and I think um, I like how you kind of capped that. You had a target of five percent, and that's different from you know a younger investor who may have put significantly more. So you did make a clear point of emphasizing that, and I think just in general, what to cap this video off, what would we expect from the two different portfolios? Um, Obviously, mine with the 85, 90% equity weighting, we would expect to see more volatility. I have the international exposure I have the emerging markets exposure, significantly less bonds than you. We would expect a portfolio like this to be more volatile relative to one like yours. And I think yours, especially, for example, with those covered call ETFs would generate a lot more income than a portfolio than than mine would. And of course, the 30% weighting, give or take, to fixed income as well.
1: That's key and I've always said at the outset of an investing journey, you have to sort of do a, a, a an honest deep dive into who you are and understand the path that you're going on because there can be very windy paths or in a chart like this or smoother paths. And, uh, you know, the older people when you have, you know, maybe you don't have an income anymore because you've retired and you're relying on this. It, it gets scary out there when the markets take a big hit. Now, even if you feel, okay, this growth, you know, over the next decade or two, these, these growth companies are going to outperform that's great. But when we see, you know, a, a crash or a correction like you saw last year, a lot of people just get scared out of the markets and that creates even more problems, right? You
0: that's end up, the worst you know, thing. Th- yeah, yeah. That's that's, the, that's what you want to avoid. And I I think that brings us full circle. It brings us back. Like these are samples that are based off of the different objectives that we set and our particular goals that we outlined. Yeah. Uh, in the very beginning and i will just remind you that it is important to remember there is maintenance required over mm. time to re- to rebalance back to this asset mix that we're setting right so it's like step one and do the self-assessment understand the goals what your time horizon is everything then you build this this plan this outliner blueprint Once you get your funds in place, for example, if you looked at the funds we use today, I mean, they'll all be linked down below. You do still have to do the regular upkeep to make sure you're balanced within the right geographies and on target with your different uh, asset scheme. But um, other than that, it is this index strategy portfolio is really such a passive, um, I would say for the most part, hands off, not as active strategy that works well for so many people. Um, as investors. And that's why I guess we're happy to highlight this. I will just say one thing too that pops Mm. to mind. I mean, if you're not even interested in taking it this far and, you know, essentially DIYing your own breakdowns, we've done videos in the past with BMO on their all in one ETF solutions, like the asset allocation solutions. You could take it one step easier and essentially have a predetermined asset allocation for you. There's so many layers to, to the options out there. And to me, dad, that's the fun part about DIY investing is, you could take it so many different ways and um I mean I want to thank our sponsor BMO they have just the most comprehensive suite of ETFs to choose from there's so many low cost choices it's more so about finding what's going to work for you and of course you can learn more all about that and more uh, at their website which is bmoetfs.com good well hey Brad I think this is a good exercise I enjoyed going through this
1: with you and seeing the differences that uh, I kind of would have expected between the way you would manage your money and and me and probably a lot of our viewers and you know we do have a, quite a range of, of ages that, uh, and life circumstances that watch us. So hopefully this will add some value to everybody watching the video.
0: I was thinking about just saying 100% into Bitcoin. And then I just, uh, you know, <laughs> I thought back to all of the things you've taught me over the years. And uh, this is what we've we've landed on. And you're going to hey, cap super, that
1: at 90%, eh? Just 90%, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> but um, it was super cool to hear yours as well. And um, thank you to everybody who's made it through the video. We'd love to hear your thoughts down in mm. the comment section below. So let us know what you think of these. What are your favorite ETFs? What is the asset allocation you guys lean for? Leave a comment down below, drop a thumbs up. But we thank you for watching. We hope you enjoyed.